0: my radio and radio high energy, No filter Oh yeah Okay, back here with uh, I can't believe it Senator Laura Reinbold. how you doing Senator Reinbold? Well
1: good yeah I didn't didn't think I'd ever get here. so
0: you, you are uh, one of the more, more elusive podcasters. I think I tried I first asked you maybe last session 2019 so it's been a while i'm glad you're here
1: yes yes so it took something really important actually to get me in your studio and this is actually a pretty cute studio
0: yeah no it's out north radio and like i said they have the radio over there and then they built the podcast studio here so it's uh works out pretty good it's a beautiful day too i gotta get out of the studio pretty soon yeah it's, it,
1: it's awesome gorgeous gorgeous day so i hope everyone has an amazing weekend
0: so i want to talk uh, <laughs> a little bit about this uh initiative you're working on your your petition but first i want to go back a little bit and. and Um, talk about how you got in politics. I remember you in 2012, you ran for the House. Uh, I ran for the Senate that year, didn't win, but I kind of knew who was running for everything and I met you. And I didn't really know who you were before that. So talk a little bit about why you decided to run back in 2012 and and maybe before that. You were born and raised here, right?
1: Born and raised here. And I actually remember meeting you. It was actually, I think it was a Holland cruise ship. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, w- I forgot about that. Yep. I mean, I, I know you were on that. I remember that.
1: Yep. That's actually one of the first times we actually had a, a, a pretty involved conversation. We were walking around that, that cruise ship.
0: We were in that the group of Canada groups.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure I, were.
0: I remember that. It was a nice meal, too.
1: Yeah, it was. It was a beautiful ship, and too bad the cruise ships aren't coming up here this summer.
0: I know. it's The tourism is just decimated. It's I, You know, Denali Borough and, and Skagway, I think some like 80 or 90% of their sales tax receipts are from the summer from tourism.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be really tough on a lot of the communities, but the one possibly tiny silver lining is Alaskans hopefully will really get out and enjoy their big, beautiful state. Because like you said, I was mm-hmm. born and raised here, and there's a lot of places in this state I haven't been. So I'm actually really going to look forward to. I just saw an article
0: about like, like private tours or something with Denali for the summer for Alaskans. Oh, Awesome. So why did you uh, run in? 2012. Why, why did why did you decide to run for office? Well,
1: I think we have to back up a little bit. I think you got you know that I was um, involved in healthcare and um, and that was something that was super super important to me. In uh, I was in pharmaceutical sales, um, biotech, and uh, then we moved over to Norway. And I uh, came back from Norway, my kids were going to Eagle River High School. They that, they were going into Greening and then Eagle River High School. There was no stadium at all. There was no trails. I'm a cross country runner and skier. I love. Love the cross-country running and ski trails. So I uh, got involved in, when I moved back from Norway in 2006, 2007, in uh, Eagle River Nordic Ski Club, and I helped maintain trails, and then I, I started building trails and uh, got a lot of trails built um, on Chuget State Park in uh, Mental Health Trust at Eagle River High School mm-hmm. and uh, then behind in Mental Mental Health Trust land and then the Eklutna land as well. So that was a huge undertaking. So,
0: so at the time, Eagle River wasn't as developed as, like, Anchorage here, where there's...
1: The trails around Eagle River High School it was a brand new high school when I moved there. Okay. And so it was just no stadium, no track, no no trails. And so I wanted my kids to be in cross-country running and skiing. And so I decided to step up to the plate, and I started uh, Eagle River Trails. And uh, we got lots of trails put in all over uh, around Eagle River High School. And it was almost 100% volunteers, and it was uh, almost 100% private donation. So REI, ConocoPhillips, um, Granite Construction was stepping up. And I could get into huge, huge, huge detail of, of how all that worked. But That's great. But it was, it's definitely one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. Is I've,
0: I've always said, you know, it's, it's especially now with this budget crisis, and mm-hmm. um, we have a lot of, you know, nonprofits and a lot of groups and have been used to money from the state, money from BP, money from Conoco. And um, it's it's, a, it's always important that, you know, the state can't do it all by themselves, and people have to step up too, and you know support these groups and these nonprofits and all these trail groups. It's uh, important that people.
1: Yep, we were pouring our heart and soul in it. I remember one day we had about 200 volunteers. I'm I'm definitely someone that can energize a crowd and, and get oh, them I know and, that. get them involved. in and, and it was just amazing to see the phenomenal support. That's when I got on uh, community councils. At one point, I was on eight boards and committees just to get these trails in. And just so you know, it, the history was my mother in law helped with the actually the Ditmans, Terry Dittman, and uh, they were the Girl Scout.
0: Like Dittman Research. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because I know Matt Larkin, he bought it from exactly Dittman years ago. It,
1: yes. So it was the Ditmans and my mother in law. Jan Reinbold that were that Girl Scout leaders that put in rehabilitated Crow Pass. So this was a second generation, uh, trail, uh, our our family getting involved in trail building, and so our goal was to get the Eagle River Greenbelt in, and that's still a goal of mine. I'm never going to give up on that goal. Mm-hmm. But what happened is a couple of bureaucrats got in my way, and uh, and I tell you, I was shocked at at how the the bureaucrats were treating volunteers that were pouring their heart and souls, their finances and and their energy into a wonderful community project, and they got in my way. And uh, it was Kim Skipper was running for office at that time. I remember, yeah. And and I I had pleaded with Anna McKinnon's office to help just just with the bear issue because they were trying to not allow people on trails because of the bears they basically wanted the trails to be for the bears and i thought you know there's millions of acres back there that the bears can be and i want some recreation for the people as well and we can do it safely with signage and all that so it was actually mark baggage that put uh, me as the co-chair and it, we had an official committee with john rada and uh and and brought these trails to fruition and it was an wow, amazing
0: so, you, so baggage was mayor at the time Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. wow yep
1: and that's why I hold a grudge against Matt Claman because when he became play mayor, he he, he disassembled <laughs> our committee. And it, Matt Claman and I, you know, we we get along outside of you, the committee hearing. I think
0: the most, uh, some of the most viewed gavel ever was you and. <laughs> Uh, Representative Clayman and the House Judiciary Committee uh, yes. last two years ago or three years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For two years, I sat on uh, that's when Gabrielle uh, crossed the line and ended up making the Democrats in power. And so I had actually became in the minority. That was 2016-17. And I was trying to get um, SB 91 repealed. And uh, so Matt Clayman, when he was uh, judiciary chair, I was sitting on that committee and it was the most Watched gavel to gavel in the history of Alaska because he and I just argued and argued until I wanted SB ninety one repealed mm-hmm. and he wanted to keep it. It was in like place.
0: skits about it. I mean, it was. it was. <laughs> yes, really, it, was it was really funny. Yeah. So you, you I, won. Do- I won. I won. Yeah, you SB ninety
1: one got repealed. We got it. Got it. Oh, that was one of the hardest fights of my life. But but we did it. And thank thank to you know Senator Shower people like that 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 helped me. It was it was really a phenomenal effort.
0: So you you were doing the, the trail stuff and and then I think before we started the podcast you mentioned. You were um, on your HOA board, and you had a break in.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, This, the very first time I got involved in political politics as an an adult was in 2000 when my house got broken into. Actually, it was on New Year's Eve. It was crazy because there was yeah. So. we were we were out of town and, and someone broke in the house and that's when I realized wow you know it, safety is is everyone's responsibility you know there's personal there's the municipality the, the troopers and things like that there's the state troopers things like that but there's a point where you need to make sure that your own house is secure and thank goodness we had an alarm system and they only made it into the garage and that was a really good for me because we had a bolt on the, on the uh, you know going into the house and and uh, so but it was still frightening enough for me that I needed to step up and do something so I became Uh, I got on the homeowner's board and then I spent three years getting community watch And, uh, it it was a lot harder project than I thought just to have people inventory their stuff and make sure that, you know, that they secured their houses. And and then we finally, after three years, we got signs put up and, uh, and so we became a neighborhood watch and, uh, and then I ended up moving over to Norway at that time.
0: And that was for, I assume your husband, oil and gas? Yes.
1: He, he helped with the development of the oil and gas over in Norway in the North Sea.
0: My friend used to work for Statoil here, the Norwegian oil company in... Oh, they, yeah. They were here for, you know, doing the Chukchi thing, and they left, but she loved it. She was, like, sort of the greatest company.
1: Yeah, their status was everywhere over there. It's much more um, government-oriented uh, mm-hmm. over in
0: Norway. Did you ever go to Tromso?
1: No, I did not. It's one
0: of our sister cities. I like know. Anchorage sisters. I'm the chair of the commission here, so.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. You were telling me about that last night, that's something I'm actually fascinated about, so. Yeah, I we think had our, that's
0: a s- at our meeting last night, our yeah. monthly meeting. You've traveled a lot, too. You said you've been to some 50-some countries, or?
1: 54, yep. 54. Oh, I beat to get- me.
0: I've got to check. I'm, I'm, below that. I'm Probably in the 40s.
1: Yeah, that's my passion, definitely, international travel. I made it a goal many years ago to try to get to one new culture and, and try to understand it just a little bit once every year. So this year's going to be a little more challenging, but, uh, uh, but usually nothing gets I, in my way, so I'm sure I'll figure out a way to I, do it.
0: I just saw an article about, um, I don't know if they're talking about maybe immunity passports or this whole eight-hour screening to fly internationally. I really hope it's not like that because I try to travel too, and that sounds like uh, it might be more difficult going forward.
1: Wow! Wow! Um, yeah, I've got the global pass. Hopefully, you know you got the um, goes.
0: What's it? What's the uh, global entry? Yes. Yeah, I got that too. I love that when you I've landed before, like LAX or something, where it's like hundreds of people in line, and you just mm-hmm. psh, go right through.
1: Oh yeah, it's just it's, it's amazing. And and the the one philosophy that I have of life is when the plans end, the adventure begins. And so when you start traveling, or even even politics, or any project, you get when, as soon as your plans stop, just make sure that. You get in the right mindset, put yourself in neutral, uh-huh. and, and let the adventure just begin. And then you become creative and resourceful, and that's how I've worked my political life. That's how I worked with the trails. That's how I work with travel. So in
0: 2012, I- uh, you were running... I'm trying to remember, was it an open seat or was it a new seat? Because It's of re- a redistricting, redistricting. remembering. Yeah. So,
1: Anna McKinnon was over um, moving to the Senate. And so it, it became an open seat, and they had redistricted Chugiak, Eagle River, and J. Jay, Jay Bear. Actually, that's the, the Senate seat that I'm in now. It was just uh, actually just moving the seat. It was um, Stuck Again Heights, a little bit of Elieska, believe it or not, Girdwood, and a little piece. It was Hawker's old, old seat. Mm-hmm. And then it got redistricted. And I remember because
0: I ran in 2012 and they had there was those lawsuits, and I think in Southeast and Fairbanks, and up until the summer, it still wasn't clear how the districts were going to look. Correct. Because my, my mm-hmm. district uh, didn't change, but they, they were looking at one version where it would have changed considerably because I used to have uh, Kevin Meyer as my senator, mm-hmm. and then it switched and it became Senator McGuire. But it was really uncertain up until, I think it was June of 2012, where they were in, in litigation, and they still hadn't um, decided the map. I remember how frustrated I was thinking, like, where's – Where's my district?
1: Oh, yeah. See, I was like, I got to hit 100 doors a day and, you know, try I was, to shake 100. I, I door knocked for 11 months.
0: I, I was doing, I knew the district, yeah. and I was doing that, but I just kept thinking, like, what if they, cha- you know, what if they change it? <laughs> what, if, what if it changes? Before the, um, you had a three, was it a three-way? It was Kevin yeah, Skipper. Larry and Wood. Larry Wood. And myself, yeah.
1: and they had all the big endorsements, the mayor and all that. So they they kind of did not take me seriously, but they didn't know. My parents had been involved in politics since 1969 in this state and i was very well connected i was very well attuned i'd helped with dozens of races in my life and i knew what i was did, doing
0: did you get out raised
1: uh, I, I raised about eighty eighty five thousand dollars i'm very good at fundraising yes you,
0: you probably did the doors and really I,
1: yep i do all my own and you know paxton webbler i have to give him a shout out okay, he's been yeah. with me since 2011 he's great he's my graphic artist but other than that everything pretty much is done internally i run my own campaigns i'm my own director i've never hired Anybody like that. I, I run my Ooh, own. Oh,
0: see, when I, I always try to get a – because I, I I get a little crazy. So i got to have somebody to oh. tell me that.
1: No, I have a team of volunteers, and I cooked them dinner about every Sunday night, and then we just charted out the path for the weekend, and, and I was held accountable. And So
0: so you were um, in the majority when you won, and that was still uh, – Chenault was still speaker. It was kind of – there was still some money. It wasn't as bad as now. There were savings. But then I think the time you really got known – to the state was, I guess it was, was it 15, 16 or?
1: 2015. 15,
0: when you voted, you voted against the budget.
1: Yeah, it was around March 10th, 2015.
0: And and that was, because um, there's kind of this binding rule that a lot of folks are familiar with about, you know, you have to, they want the members to vote for the final budget. And then you chose not to do that. And then they, they really kind of. They stuck it to you. I mean, they took Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they definitely stuck it to me. But this is this is the story. Um, when I, I voted yes for the budget in 2012 and 2013, it was 2013 officially in 2014. Um, but I, I voted yes, and that's when we flattened it. It was growing about 5% a year, and that's when it was flattened. But I, I knew we were still going in multi-billion dollar deficit spending, and it was very hard on my conscience. And Brad Keith and a bunch of people really came after me for voting yes on the budget in 2013 and 14. And so when I joined the caucus, the the second session when I was a sophomore, basically, I told them, "There's no no one explains to you what happens. They don't explain what a binding caucus is. They don't tell you anything what's going to happen. They just said it's expected that you vote for the budget." So when we went around the room, the thirty of us, I said, "Well, my expectation is that we choose a target, we work with the Democrats, and we we say, okay, the total budget's going to be like nine billion dollars. That's including all funds." And then as long as we keep under that, I'll vote for the budget. We agreed to that. We also agreed, you know, we, we, we talked. We never picked a number. It, nobody mm-hmm. would commit to a number. And so that's why I said, well, my expectation is, you know, that we're reducing reducing the gover- government. Because at that
0: time the budget was, um, just from the general funds, it was with capital and operating, it was like Six, it was over six percent, almost seven billion. Well, it, it depends on the was,
1: total, yeah. the total funds. Um UG, it, sixteen billion dollars was the total budget, including capital, because uh, in two thousand fourteen, and I had voted for that. But three billion of that was um, for pers and ters, and that was something that I thought was very important to pay down our A transfer, our, yeah, the our and ters, part. yeah, the three billion dollars uh, to. to Pay down our, our debt, which I thought was super important. So that was why that budget was so big. It was also a $3 billion capital budget at that time. So that's when we got mm-hmm. the UAA. It um, was you a know, big party.
0: Everybody, yeah, everybody yeah. Got everybody Bill got Sto- a I heard a story. But that- I felt
1: guilty about it all. So that's why I really, when I w- joined caucus in 2015, I told them, guys, I can't do that again. Uh, I told them, I told everybody, everybody in caucus knew that I was I was very concerned about multi billion dollar deficit spending.
0: I heard a story about this is way before, this is like 2010, 11, um, when the Pritzwell Will was really high. I guess it was probably 2009, the revenue forecast had come out uh, at the end of session and it showed like another $100 million or something. And I heard that people had run down to the bars and grab staffers and it was, you know, like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night and they are like, get back here, get back here. Like, we all got like a million dollars in our districts we got to spend. Wow. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah, that was
1: way before my time. It was
0: way back when the price of oil was like 150 mm-hmm. Um So you voted against it and I've never really – I think you've told me a little bit, but how did it go down? Like, how did they – did they call you? Did somebody come to you? Was it the speaker? Was it the, the the majority leader? Like, how did they? After the budget thing, was it immediately or was it?
1: Okay. Well, well, we got to talk about what happened. I think I think it was right. It was right on March tenth, March eleventh, and I, I we had made an agreement that if we make cuts, that they're not going to go back in. Well, at that time, Steve Thompson and uh, Mark Newman were the co-chairs of finance, and those guys busted the the caucus rules. We meet Tammy Wilson, uh, Sh- uh, Olson. You know, a whole bunch of us. Kurt Olson. Yeah, Kurt Olson. We all cut the budget a bunch. It, we had a pretty good, pretty good team, and we were cutting the budget. Well, then Mark Newman changed his stripes with Steve Thompson, and there was 81 amendments. I was sitting through House Finance, and almost every one of them was putting our budget cuts back in. We had already been in the paper, oh, they cut pre-K, they cut the university. This is like the
0: subcommittee Yeah, the subcommittee,
1: and we cut significantly when they were adding all our cuts back in, and that did not make me happy because we had an agreement that if you were bold enough in your subcommittee to make a cut, we wouldn't put it back in. Well, Mark Newman and Steve Thompson went back on their word. And so that's when I was like, it was amendment number 11. I remember they put in like a 10 or $11 million back in. And I was like, guys, no, this is going to bloat the budget. We're going to go in multi-billion dollar deficit spending again. There's going to be a crisis down the road. And at some point, you have to draw the line. So I went in my office with my three staffers. I had three awesome staffers that had worked with me. I think they were all with me. Um, this was the third year. We had a really super awesome team. And I said, guys, I'm a team. I'm equal to you right now. We're all going to vote. Do I vote no on the budget? And uh, so I went around, and uh, all three of my staffers said, you've got to vote no or we're going to quit. You know, that's how serious they were. They wanted me to have integrity down down here as well as I wanted integrity and be able to be honest with who I voted, stay on the platform that I promised, the principles that I promised, and even the five principles of the caucus. There was five principles on the caucus, and I, I did speech after speech on the set, on the yeah, House I, floor. I remember, the,
0: I remember those five. I remember that. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so basically the caucus was defying all of their principles, the agreements and everything, so so we all went, and then uh, then we went out and voted on the on the budget. So like did, did anybody, next day,
0: did anybody besides your staff? Did they know you were going to vote no? Did the I speaker, told leadership, the, the but
1: leadership? they knew they knew me for three years that I told them I couldn't continue, you know, to spend multi. So they kind of they all, like all knew. Shock. Oh, they yeah, they all they definitely knew. I definitely told them, and so then I went out and it was it was mid March and I voted voted no. And um, I had no idea what was going to happen. I just I wasn't sure, and uh, so they didn't even know what to do because no one had done it for ten years. I was going to say because
0: <laughs> because at the time that hadn't happened for a long time. Ten and years. Now since then it's happened again, and it's happened in the Senate Lots side, of so it's are a little more. People are doing it now. Like people kind of know what's going to happen, but at the time everybody, I remember thinking I was watching it too, and I was like, "What happens?"
1: Right. So what happened is they told me that it was just going to. I was in. I was. I was. You know, data is super. Privacy is very, very important to me. And that's one of the reasons why I can't wait to talk about the Constitutional Freedom Fighters oh. because it's in the it's in the petition here about our right to privacy. We have a right. It's probably what I use more on the on the Senate and House floor than any other quote from the Constitution's Article 122. It's the right to privacy. So um to me um it's super, super important and I was in a meeting, an education meeting, trying to you were in a data so am I. So is so is Jake who's sitting here with us. We are all in a Go in ahead. a in a oh. um in a database that I don't think they should have on us. And, uh, basically it's the Alaska, um, commission of post-secondary education. And you, you, Jeff, nor can I get out of this database. They data I'm mine definitely us. in there
0: because uh, I, I had a student loan from them. I paid it off, but mm-hmm. I had a student loan from them. So I'm definitely in there.
1: Everybody with a PFD basically is, is in that database. Well, I you was, know, tra- you
0: know, real quick. I just, I did a story uh, a year or two, probably a couple of years ago. And I'll just real quick aside on that. Um, I had been in Australia for a while in 2017, and I got back and I kept my house here. I maintained my Alaska residency. I, you know, I, I was there for less than a year. And I got this letter later that said um, I was losing my property tax exemption. And I, you know, I said, okay, like why? I mean, the house is here. My stuff's here. I was paying my rent. I mean, I own the, own the place. And um, they said because they got information about the PFD. So I said, why, why do they share that? You know, and then I did a FOIA request and I went to the PFD office. The PFD, the Permanent Fund um, Corporation, uh, shares information with 81 city, state, and federal um, offices, departments. Did you know that? 81.
1: That's crazy. They
0: that. share all the information. I, I, I did a story on it. I got the FOIA, they gave me the information, and they share data with, yeah, it's, I think it's 81 city, state, and federal uh, departments.
1: That's incredible. So basically, I was at this meeting and I was trying to get our data protected and I was trying to defund the A C P E for this database. So I was in that meeting and that leadership knew how important how important that was to me. And you know, Jeff, that I am a passionately against Common Core. I fought eight years to against Common Core. <laughs> I know. And 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 so just we just this is important because It took me three years to figure this out. That database that we're talking about right now started as a precursor with the student loan. Remember when Alaska Student Loan Forgiveness was way back in the 80s? Yeah. Well, then they started this new... uh, where you could get uh, scholarships, basically, if you go to UAA. And that was the Parnells, one of Parnells' par- first the bill. The performance scholarship? Mm-hmm, yeah. The performance scholarship. And I was with Parnell at the chamber when he, he he basically unveiled that plan. And I just, I wasn't comfortable with it. But anyway, I dug really, really deep. It took me three years to figure it out. But the database was a precursor to Common Core. So, so under that performance scholarship is where that database got started and that, that all of us can't opt out of. And so, anyway, I was in this meeting at education. I was a vice chair of education. They called me out of the meeting into the speaker's office. And they told me it was going to be a quiet little meeting at night sometime, no big deal. Well, this was right before House floor. I believe it was on a Monday morning. They called me out right in the middle of interrogating the, uh, these, these people in regards to this database. Called me down to their office. Shree Smellett was there.
0: Um, she was the majority leader. The yeah, point. she was
1: the majority leader. Um, uh, the uh, hawker was in the room. Um, speaker was in the room and the rules chair, which was Craig Johnson was in the room and they called me in out of the blue and they called me in and they basically,
0: it's like one of those meetings. Yeah. Like, I've had those meetings before where you work for somebody and they call you in the office and you think whatever. And it's like two people and the HR person and you're like, Oh shit, I was, this is, this is it. <laughs>
1: I well, I was like totally. Cause I thought it was going to be a quiet little 15 minute meeting, you know, and I thought they were going to say, Hey, why'd you vo- vote no on the budget? And you know, we want to work with you. And how about if we negotiate? That's what I was expecting. Instead, they basically told me, boom, right on the spot. You're losing your... They didn't even let me defend myself, talk nothing. They didn't care about what I'd say. They told me I was losing three staff they told me I was getting stripped of pretty much all of my committees um, and and uh, I, I was just like flabbergasted with with the the reaction it was so stern so harsh and I'd been working with these this is my third year these are my friends these are people that I worked on committees with that I went to caucus with and you know I thought I thought we had a, a good relationship so I was just shocked at, at what they were doing so what I did is I decided I think they thought I was gonna oh, apologize and stuff but I wasn't sorry I wasn't sorry one iota for what I did so instead I leaned in I stood up and I leaned in speaker Chenault's desk and i said is there anything else oh my gosh <laughs> and so he well, was, I, I, they it, it definitely
0: <laughs> i'd say it definitely backfired because it ended up you know being front page news for a couple days and i think it probably um got a lot of folks to in the district to pay attention to you and you know whether they agree with you or not, they definitely you know, knew who you were. Well,
1: we're at $20 billion deficits now since 2013. That's clearing out savings accounts. $20 billion. Could you imagine how important that was? When I ran in 2012,
0: I kept <laughs> saying, I said, we're spending all this money. And I said, "This once the savings account is empty we're going to be in real trouble and now we're now we're pretty much there
1: so so they basically uh cleaned out the statutory budget reserve they cleaned out um the constitutional budget reserve and we have to pay that back now they've also spent six billion dollars out of the earnings reserve so since 2013 roughly they spent 26 billion in savings so people can agree with me all they want or disagree with me it doesn't matter the bottom line is i'm a very financially oriented business person and it does not make sense to spend multi-billion dollars and now they're robbing everybody of the permanent fund dividend and it's never going to be enough it's Never going to be enough to you, pay for big you, government.
0: Do you think we can cut? I mean, I, the budget has been reduced. I mean, from the UGF portion, of, I think in 2013, the, the budget was capital and operating was almost $8 billion. It was a lot. Now it's down to about four and a half. This is just from the, the That's UGF. all smoke
1: and mirrors. And if you would like to read my, uh, this this is another hour, and I will come back on and talk to you about one, that. Yeah. But this is, I have, I've written three op-eds in regards to the budget. My latest one was about three weeks ago, and it's called Tough Decisions Ahead regarding the budget. Yeah, I saw that. One of them was Budget Illusions Versus Reality, and another one is called Don't Touch the Permanent Fund dividend because budget cuts are missing so i'll be happy but that is a very deep conversation that i don't just take lightly okay we could do, do another one I, I re i research it very 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 heavily and and so i will be glad to come back but the bottom line is it's smoke and mirrors they've not cut the budget and you go read my tough decisions ahead and you'll see that because you have to look at all accounts not just one account mm-hmm. and they flip-flop ugf and dgf in a moment's notice and so i look at all fund sources that's how you do a, a, a budget but bottom line is no budget cuts we'll, are we'll still missing.
0: Do a d- different podcast on that topic. Okay. So uh, I want to talk about this initiative real quick. You ran in twenty sixteen for the Senate. Uh, so did I. Twenty eighteen. No eighteen. Was it eighteen? Yeah. So sixteen. I, I ran in sixteen. I lost. I keep losing. Um, I've run twice. I've lost twice. Um, you ran in eighteen. Third and time's that, a charm. Yeah, maybe we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, you ran against Representative Sat. You guys are both running for the Senate seat that Anna McKinnon decided not to run for re-election for. Correct. And, uh, and you ended up winning that one. Yes. You've been in the Senate since. Correct. Um, did you know you, I mean, did you feel pretty good about that? Cause I know it was a, you guys are both representatives and you guys were both kind of known. So, um, I think a lot of folks were kind of surprised that Dan Sadler got in cause you had already been running first initially.
1: Yeah, I was, I had called the leadership, you know, in the party and told him that I wanted to step in and I waited and waited. I didn't raise money because out of respect and deference for Anna McKinnon, even though I think she's far more left than I am. I I'm um, I stand on the platform. I stand on the principles and um, and and the promises that I made to the people. And, and I, the one, they only made one promise to myself when I ran for office that I wasn't going to change. I wasn't going to let the political machine. And I knew it was powerful. I mean, I had been in politics most of my life with my parents and I knew it was a very powerful machine. I knew the special interests and things like that. But the one promise I made to myself is I'm not going to let the machine change me. And so that I've been very true to that uh, it down and it's I been tougher no one, I than I no, ever thought. I think it nobody be, would disagree with that. Yeah. It was,
0: it was <clears throat> It's hard though. I mean, it's both sides have a very, you know, they have machines in place and they're very hard to uh, step up against.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, so, so yeah, I ran against, uh, against him and it, it was, it was a, a tough race because we were in session till May and I usually right, raised yeah. my money in the fall. So I hadn't raised any money and I jumped in, I think it was like June 1st. And so uh, it was a short, you know, I don't know, two two and and a half half months, months. and uh, that was brutal, man. I was working around the clock. I was hardly sleeping, working hard, door knocking in a new area, and doing bear paw. And by the way, bear paw is going to be on. It's going to be different. It's going to be way sheer down this year, but the latest word I've gotten the last day or so is bear paw will happen, and that's the second Saturday in July.
0: I'm still still surprised. I mean, I'm not... I'm not surprised they canceled the fair. I guess I'm just I'm just kind of surprised they did it. So like, I thought they were going to maybe wait a little bit and kind of. I see think what we happens. need the fair.
1: I think we need the fair, and I hope another fair happens because we need normalcy more than anything right now, and things to look forward to with our families, and we're social beings, and I think it's just so I, important.
0: I had a booth at the fair in 2009, 2010. For the to of a small business, and we did really well at the fair. But um, I met a lot of the fair people, the, the food vendors, and the other vendors, the clothing vendors, the, all the vendors. <laughs> And uh, I got to know them because I was at the fair and a lot of those people make, that's kind of how they make their year. That's their year those 12 days. Uh, And then the city of Palmer gets, I think, something like almost half a million dollars in sales tax receipts, but... I just feel bad because a lot of those vendors. I mean, that's their that's their livelihood. It's I agree. That's how they make their money.
1: I think they should not have canceled it. I mean, I I wish to goodness they wouldn't. We need we need the produce. We need all these small businesses. Something positive. Look forward to the to the end of the year and normalcy. I mean, it hasn't been canceled since World War Two. I mean, really, 1942. They said it's yeah. crazy to me that they canceled it. But good news is is Bear Paw and Eagle River is going to be happening. I believe it's July twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth. So um, I hope people will come to the Bear Paw. is there River. some
0: new Bear Paw restaurant or something I saw on the News is there a new bear paw some, or something in Eagle River? Maybe, maybe something else. I saw something about some restaurant that was opening back up.
1: Well, I'm glad I was part of Open Alaska. I'll have to check check for that. But I was part of Open Alaska. We did the huge rally downtown. I've been passionate about making sure Alaska got back to work and uh, back to the normal as we could. And then uh, after Open Alaska, we did we did the rally one month after March 22nd when he did the first mandate, which Oh man, that was hard on me. Those healthcare mandates, um, and uh, and anyway, one month later, Open Alaska did this massive. Hundreds of cars showed up at this rally downtown, and that was so much fun. that was fun. Oh, that, was Ber-
0: was that the Bernadette Wilson one? Or?
1: Well, yeah, but she's not the one that started it. Elizabeth Welsh started it, and Matt Steele. Okay. So those are the two actual. Bernadette's she, good at She good, joined. She's
0: good at getting the getting the cameras.
1: So <laughs> you, you know, she's she's a she's a tough tough uh, lady, and, and worked hard. She knows
0: how to get the. Uh, she knows how to get on the TV. She's good at that.
1: So um. Uh, she, she's a, she's a, and I, I really like a lot of the things that she does. So I'm, I'm a fan. Um, but I will tell you that after that, then it wasn't enough. We, he, Governor Dunleavy then opened Alaska back up on his terms. And that was mandate number 16. And I was shocked. We, we uh, looked at that mandate and it was page after page after page, attachment after attachment after attachment. So basically he decided that Alaska was going to be reopened on his terms. And I was flabbergasted. And that's when I realized no, this is we have a free state. I'm a very passionate about liberty for a Democrat, for a Republican, for for anybody. It doesn't matter. Our freedom is our unalienable rights. So
0: so I, 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 I agree. I'm There's some concerns with some of these mandates. But on the same side, I mean, I mean, you do agree. I mean, this is a real deal. People are getting luckily in Alaska. It's not as bad as the rest of the most of the most of the country and some of the world. But I mean, it, if we didn't do anything at all. I think probably more people would have got this thing and you know, more, more people might have died. Yep, that's
1: probably true. And, and I, and I understand that, but there's also some, some very important things. One, the legislature write laws, the executive branch does not. We have to have three branches. Our founding fathers wanted three branches of government. And if we have an executive branch that is writing law, that is distributing funds and enforcing everything, we basically have a kingdom. And that is exactly why we got away from King George III. We didn't want edicts from a king with massive taxes and penalties and all that. Some of these had criminal fines and uh, and jail time associated, but now they're trying to talk out of both sides of their mouth, saying they're voluntary guidelines. And then on the other side, they're saying they're mandates with jail time. Right. Oh. And, and penalties so to me the constitution says that the legislature has health education welfare we should have been involved in the decisions we also should have been involved in distributing the 1.5 billion dollar funds covid funding and 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 that's that's another
0: uh, so when he uh, the initial de- de- declara- emergency declaration the, go- the governor issued the legislature did extend they did vote to extend that i guess because you can do it for 30 days right
1: and then well basically but in order to do what he did is basically you have to declare martial law if you're going to shut things down. And, and we can go through the petition, but the the bottom line is is he has to declare it. And he can only declare martial law for 20 days in order to issue things that he did. He refused to declare martial law. Then after 20 days, you have to get the legislature, two-thirds of them, to agree to extend it. He extended it 60 days roughly. And so I ended up last week when we were in Juneau um, on the— on Wednesday, and I ended up um, putting forth an, an amendment. And it, I was there. Yes, you were there. And uh, uh, ten senators uh, voted for it, and then at the one one flipped their vote. Gary Stevens uh, at, at the last. That bit. was the
0: eleven to nine one, right? The so first,
1: yeah, it, it's it was a huge deal, especially because of the binding caucus. The binding caucus says you have to give your procedural votes. Which, by the way, I don't think it's in any other. State in the nation, this binding caucus, which I believe should, it should be unconstitutional and illegal. But bottom line, you're supposed to so because there's no representation, you basically bind your vote to the president whatever the president
0: says. But I, I just want to ask you real quick about the binding caucus because I've been a judo enough a couple of years. I've made paid attention, um, and I understand the frustration, especially if, if you know you're in the minority on the on the on the on the budget um, compared to the rest of the legislature. But I mean, at the end of the day, you have to have some. Kind of agreement because if you there was no agreement wouldn't wouldn't everything just keep going forever because everybody's going to no. want something or they're going to want a cut or they're going to want an ad or they're going to want you have to because because there's a subcommittee process there's a House Finance Senate Finance Committee process there's a, the floor process there's amendments all they say is you have to on the last one we're finally done we ask that you vote for it so we can pass it.
1: Okay, and, and this is literally another podcast, because this is, this is literally a 30-minute discussion, but the bottom line is is the subcommittees were cut out of all the time. For example, this year I was on four subcommittees, so one of the, one of the subcommittees, we had 14, last year, 14 subcommittees, health and social services, were basically cut out of not a lot being allowed to men. and I took Natasha Van off a whole stack of amendments, and I, one of them got accepted. So we're pretty much cut out after we have to go through these grueling process of all these bureaucrats begging for more money, and it's a $3.5 billion budget. If our MP- doesn't matter why are we sitting on that committee if we can't if, if they cut people like senator shower off of finance and cut the fiscal conservatives out then the, it's going to bloat if they're having backdoor special meetings with special interests that are getting bloating bloating the budget if it's a free-for-all then we're going to destroy the state well, I guess ideally it's a free-for-all they, i guess
0: an ideal situation they let the subcommittee chairs run you know run the subcommittees and the group in and the, and the group decide what they do, and then it goes to the finance committee. I, I think you're probably right. There's probably some things happening that are outside of the public Well, we'll process. go back to
1: 2015. I said that I would vote for the budget if we all, including the Democrats and Republicans, picked a, picked a target of total funds, and, and and then if we don't go above that, then I'll vote for it. Then Then I will give you my vote, and then we can fight like heck what goes in it, and all of us have a say-so then I'm, I'm good with that. But we can't let it be a free-for-all that leadership can go and bloat the budget up. Billions of dollars. We have no idea what's in it because all these backdoor deals are made. And then I have to vote for a budget knowing that it's going to hurt my state. No way, Jose. You
0: make, a, you make an interesting point. Um, anyways, going back to this petition. So you, you're pretty outspoken about the, uh, the mandates. Um, and then the, one of the frustrations I've had, and I've, I've written this and I've said this, is it seems like it's getting better now. But but at the peak of this thing I didn't know what the rules were on any given day. The, the state rules compared to the local rules, you know, can you, can you go out? Can you not go out? Can you try? I mean, what, like, it was just seemed to be changing almost daily. It was. And that was a very.
1: I was getting calls like crazy and we were being completely and totally cut out of the process. Um, I called the governor's office Probably five or six times me or my staff, and uh, the bottom line is is we were not getting our phone calls answered, so then I had to start getting my constituents to call the governor 's office. They were not getting phone calls returned. My dentist was so frustrated that he started a petition uh, with the dentist, basically a letter because i couldn 't help him as his as his you know as his senator i couldn 't help him, and so he wrote a letter got ninety dentists to to meet with uh, Doctor Zink because they basically couldn't practice, do dental work. And yeah, that was uh, at number
0: fifteen, I think, <laughs> mandate fifteen.
1: And so, so basically, they met with Zinc and Zinc them. So Zinc became Queen of Alaska. And and, 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 and there, there was an
0: email I got. I read, I read an article about that. There were some emails from these dentists. It was some, maybe the same group, mm-hmm. maybe a different group. But they referred to her as the Queen, and they referred to her as uh, Oh, this one did her not. the Majesty. Oh
1: no no no. This one did not. This, this was a, ninety. This was very very professional. I'll give you the letter.
0: Yeah, this is this is um, the guy from Juno, so the Alaska I forget. Anyways, it was like a. He actually, in this letter, or it was a series of an emails, and in one of the emails he was so mad at her about some meeting they had that um, he wanted to. He suggested doing a GoFundMe to hire a plane to write F.U. Doctors, Inc. in the sky. I, mean, not, I did a whole article on this thing.
1: Okay, well, you know I won't go there. I don't
0: think it was your people. I think it it's It's
1: definitely not mine. Mine is a very wonderful Christian man that uh, that got 90 dentists, a very professional letter, and I'll be – but, but it was dissed is the bottom line, and he, they were very, very frustrated. And they were
0: upset that they couldn't, you know, have patients. I mean, and it wasn't mm-hmm. just the dentist, too. I know other doctors that did surgery, you know – uh, orthopedists orthopedic surgeons they were basically just said oh sorry you know you can't well, do anything
1: hairdressers everything i mean it was it was the whole and then and then i thought it was so wrong when i started this constitutional freedom fighters when we were reading the mandate, so basically what we decided to do is everybody read the Declaration of Independence and then read the Constitution of the United States of America and then the Constitution of the state of Alaska. So we all that was the first assignment. We had 48 hours basically to do that. I read so an
0: online group or on is this Facebook. Alaskans? I just
1: posted, I hadn't even met half the people. I just said, Hey, is anyone interested in seeing if these mandates are unconstitutional? I just posted in Open Alaska and I got eight people to join me. So it was pretty, pretty remarkable. And I still haven't even met a couple of the people, but they all agreed to do it. And then we, we met like, every other day uh, on, on teleconference. And uh, then we had uh, three or four days to read all the mandates and cross-examine them to the Constitution, the Declaration and the State of Alaska Constitution. And we all came independently with the same conclusion that they were, many of them were very unconstitutional. So I, I, I just love the group. We had so much fun. It was therapy for us. And uh, so we basically decided, what's the next step? And so we identified the ones that we believe were unconstitutional. And then knowing that we were probably going to head back to Juneau, I decided to do a resolution to the, basically to say this is a joint resolution, House Senate joint resolution. And it showed where the governor was usurping the, in undermining the legislative branch. So the first piece of legislation that, that we wrote was a resolution basically showing where he was trampling on the legislative branch and on the rights of the citizens and the power, the source of government is the people. So he was trampling on the inalienable rights in the declaration of independence, the inherent rights in in the state of Alaska constitution and the bill of rights in the United States constitution. So we spent about two weeks writing this um, resolution and then I sent it um, to all of the, uh, the, the Supreme Court justices, I s- sent it to the executive branch, and I sent it to all the senators and legislators. I mean, s- s-
0: some states, I, I think Michigan and uh, another one, didn't they? Their, their courts rule actually ruled some of this stuff unconstitutional, didn't they? Yes. Um, I don't think we've had a challenge. We're following this, them. We, We're, haven't had a cha- we haven't had an official legal challenge, have we? St- there's a, there's a
1: couple boiling right now. Bubbling. I was on a co- teleconference actually last night.
0: Is it hard? I want to ask. Is it hard? Because you supported the governor when he ran, right? You, you're Republican. Uh, uh, after is it hard, after, after of- the
1: primary, I did because you know I was disappointed because he was a Common Core supporter, and uh, he also supported SB ninety one, and he also did not take bold enough stances in, in in my opinion on cutting cutting the budget. So I had a I I had reservations about him. Because I'd worked with them for six years, however, I decided you got to put your differences behind, behind you. And you know, Kevin Myers did the same thing. He's a Common Core guy. He was a pro SB ninety one and a big budget guy and taking the permanent fund dividend. So I struggled. I struggled with them, but I, you also sometimes you have to put your differences aside. And yes, I did endorse Governor Dunleavy um, once he won the primary and did get behind him. And I did want to be successful because everything I'd worked for, cutting the budget at that time, I'd voted no. 2015, 16, 17 and 18. So four years I'd voted no on the budget. So I was a massive believer in reducing the budget.
0: He he ended up voting no kind of One time and five minutes
1: later he voted yes. So it's never recorded as a no vote (laughs) where I got punished I, 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 that's another podcast but massively punished for for what yeah, i like did. we got three
0: more podcasts right
1: now <laughs> i know well, i gotta look out after three years of saying no <laughs> i told you, you i
0: told you it'd be fun right you think, think you're so, having a good time We're having a good time. yeah I,
1: I i love radio i love podcasts so yeah this is actually great um but uh Bottom line is I, I did want a full permanent fund dividend until we changed the law. You know, if we need to change that law, then let's change the law. But as long as the law is a law, we need to obey the law.
0: I, I agree, too. So I, I, I think I, I, my belief is you can't afford to pay these dividends now with the situation under the statutory formula. But I totally agree that they should have changed this statute, actually, when the courts ruled that it was subject to appropriation. Because I think, and I've said this, it's very unfair to the average Alaskan who doesn't pay attention to politics, who doesn't go to Juneau, who doesn't watch every day. They see on the news, you know, three thousand dollars. They think the Senate passed three. 000. Okay, so it's three thousand. Okay, and then it's one thousand, and then it's two thousand, and then it's fifteen hundred, then it's then it's five hundred, and it just changes all the time. And it's ve- And people know people are aware of the statute. They're also aware that the legislature can do whatever they want, and um, it just very. We
1: can't do whatever we want. We are beholden to the law as well as as the governor. Well, is. but technically
0: they they don't have to follow. It. I mean, they can appropriate it, and they have done that for the last four or five years. But they should have changed that statute. I don't know I why agree. they didn't. They're do not that. above the law. I don't know why they didn't change that, I especially agree. when they passed the SB 26, which conflicts with the, I don't know, it just, it just, it's fr- it frustrates me that you can, you know, have an opinion for, you know, against how much you should pay out, but um, it's clear I'm that they're they following the statute. They,
1: and I, last week, and I, this is new information you don't even know, but um, I had a full, it took me three days to argue with the lawyers last week, but I finally got a full permanent fund dividend uh, amendment out. And, uh, and so, uh, we ended up voting on that on the, on the Senate floor and because of the binding caucus, they're supposed to give their procedural votes to, to,
0: uh, so the didn't, pr- president. Didn't they really go out of order because it wasn't an appropriation it, bill? Or? But
1: yeah, but see, so what you need to know is that, um, our lawyer, Megan Wallace basically made a decision with our leadership that. Redistributing one to one point five billion dollars is not an appropriation, which is ridiculous. So that is going to be a very, very, and that was in my speech, uh, and 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 it is a policy call, and so is a procedural vote. A proce- there's no nothing in the rules. There's nothing in uniform rules. There's nothing in Masons because I've read it. So I called the lawyers. I said, "What what is a procedural vote?" And it's a made up rule. Bro- so, bottom line is, people give these votes blindly; they don't even know what they're going to be to the president. So, the, really, there's there's the republic is at risk with the binding caucus vote because we're sent roughly. I have roughly forty thousand constituents. I have to represent the voice of my constituency, and if I pledge a vote blindly to the president, there is no republic. But I guess
0: on the other side, you could one could say you could you not you don't have to join the majority. You can not be in the majority if they have eleven people who decide they're going to follow some rules or agree on. Something. But
1: there's a binding vote. They don't even know. So they're blindly agreeing to something that they don't know what the budget's going to be. They don't know what which is going to be procedural. They don't know what appropriation. There is no representation. That's why I think the binding caucus vote is so serious. It is absolutely putting concern in the republic. Because if you, if your senator or your legislator cannot vote their conscience or the will of the people, they have blindly. It's more like communism, and so I think it's it's. And Mike shower will come on, and that that's one of his big I things. I got to get him. I He will. I, I talked to him the, yesterday. Uh, I want to get he'll, the. Um, he'll come on.
0: I want to get the story about Dozer. Yeah, I his name yeah, Dozer yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, So, so bottom line is we got to fix that binding caucus. We can, we can, we can work together and we can get out of there. But I actually could argue that the binding caucus bloats the budget up. So, but that's a discussion for another day. The budget, the budget so, podcast. So
0: the resolution is that I know you're it's online. You're getting signatures. Yeah,
1: we're getting about a hundred a day right now. It's, we started the Constitutional Freedom Fighters, and this is for everybody. It doesn't matter if you are a libertarian and undeclared, a non-declared um, Republican, conservative, libertarian. It doesn't matter. What about, are, what
0: about socialist party?
1: They're <laughs> <laughs> welcome. We're they're welcome. I don't. We're we're open. This tent is huge, and we're asking people to go to on our Facebook page. It's called the Constitutional Freedom Fighters comma Alaska chapter and this, young, this this group of eight of us started this and then we have a petition called change.org it's called the people petitioning their government and uh, basically um, we want to take it a step further and have a redress as well we're trying working on a redress so redress of a grievance is if a business has been shut down because of these mandates they should have a way to um, be able to get that grievance. Taken care of. So this the start is the petition, but we're also working on a and a process for them to be able to address their grievances.
0: So, So if you were totally in charge of this whole thing, say you were governor, would what would you have? I mean, would you have put guidelines in place, or I mean, not mandates, or would I mean what would you have done? What do you think should be done differently? I guess now things are kind of okay. Back so up, that we're
1: we're diverting from the the, the petition right now, um, and that that's a, a completely different discussion. But I did have a discussion with the governor in regards to dealing with the hot spots. I would definitely see where there was, and then and then take protocols in those in those areas. But I think it's unconstitutional to shut down churches, to to not allow us to assemble, to not allow us to petition government unless you're in ten. This cars having to be six feet apart. Did you read his his mandate sixteen? People want to be freaked out. Go read health. Uh, uh, alert. through a lot of it. Health alert. Uh, 11 and uh, mandate 16 it's unacceptable we cannot have a government that gets and intrudes our life the way that it did in this and and our goal of this petition is to have these repealed these amendments these uh, mandates uh any unconstitutional ones repealed and rescinded so they're never used as a precedence again because we we've got to be an economy that uh that is able to invest a lot in their in their business and know that at at in an hour's notice a governor can shut everything down with no notice and and virtually no recourse and there was no scientific when he claimed when he called this perceived disaster there was one case one case from a cargo pilot and he pretty much shut the state down and of course people like me got exempted which i didn't think is fair he also arbitrarily uh, applied this and that's what we go in in, in this in this uh, this petition we talk about the constitution says that, that that there needs to be not arbitrary application we are well, all equal i, I, under I the pointed
0: law. out and i thought it was funny and i wasn't the only one but the uh you know pot shops were considered essential and i had um actually somebody told me that's a legislator but it was really funny because i tweeted it out I, I said you know pot shops are now essential five years ago it was a felony <laughs> correct <laughs> that's a that's a weird one i mean i think a lot of folks look at that and said wait a minute like buying pots essential now when when people are in jail for that for felony five five years prior when it was illegal so i, I do agree with some of the arbitrary arbitrary nature of kind of who is essential who's not essential um and, you know i don't know who's making those decisions if it's him or if it's commissioner Crum or if it's and zinc but mm-hmm. dr Zink.
1: When I talked to him and texted, I basically said it's so important that we do a scientific model. You know, we have to, we, these cannot be arbitrarily applied. It has to, we're all equal. According to the Constitution, laws have to be equally applied to everybody. They're not being <coughs> equally, they're arbitrary. Um, in addition, um, the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are inalienable. The government cannot, cannot give nor take that away that's that's an inalienable right of, of 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 all citizens of America the source of government is in the people and uh, so we basically are imploring the executive branch to immediately repeal all unconstitutional health mandates relating um, to to the disaster. And then we have it resolved. We have several things in regards to uh, the, the resolved, be it resolved. And once again, you can go to the people's um, People of Alaska petition their government. It's on the Constitutional Freedom Fighters Alaska chapter, and it's a change.org petition. We're getting about 100 signatures a day. We'd really like you to go in. And it's a real simple. You can read it in about three or four minutes. But uh, it's basically... Uh, be it resolved that, um, that the Bill of Rights, the inherent rights and the, the um in the inherent rights in the Constitution of Alaska, the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence, the, the the source of power is in the people. And those rights the the government cannot take away. And so it's it's critical that all of us, every Democrat, every every one of us took an oath to the constitution. It is the supreme law of the land. And these mandates are in conflict with the constitution. And that's why we took an oath. Every, every elected official has to take an oath to the constitution of the United States and a constitution of the state of Alaska. And that's what we're trying to hold, so, hold people accountable for.
0: So what's the goal? The goal is when, when, you get to some level of signatures, you're going to submit it to the governor or just put it, put it, um, yeah, we're, that, we're, I, we're creating, know, we're creating a movement basically. I know, I know the, on the national level, I think oh, oh, maybe Obama started that where if they got, so many. If they got 25,000 signatures and something, they had to address it. And I know there was a couple of ones that were kind of...
1: Is that nationwide?
0: Yeah, so it, maybe it was more than that. But there was a thing Obama started, and there was one of them that was kind of really goofy. I forget what it was, but they actually had to address it because they got the signatures. But I don't know if that, on the state level, I don't think there's a, a similar thing in place where if you get so many signatures on something the governor has to do well the
1: bottom line is it's so important that we want this to be a movement a bottom line is to educate and alaskans are responsible for educating themselves go read the constitution if you need a copy send me send me an email i'll get you a constitution of the united states or the you know hand hand paper copy and just to educate them and make sure you and your family know what your rights are it's critical second we want to engage them we want them to sign this petition so they're aware of what their rights are and that they do have opportunity to petition their government and also um if they've been hurt by what the government has done then there is an opportunity for them to have a redress of their grievances and then finally just to empower Alaskans to make sure that this never happens again this cannot the trap that what has held this country together for 25 years or 250 years excuse me um is the constitution um of the of the United States and that they have rights the Bill of Rights are the people and how that it's so fascinating it literally will just take you a couple hours to go read the Declaration of Independence the uh, Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Alaska and you will be so empowered and you should hold your every you know your your mayor your assembly member your school board member your legislator your senator the governor they are they, they take an oath a public oath on TV we take an oath to uphold this and if, if you know that then you can hold them them accountable but work with them I mean it's it's a tough unprecedented situation I get it but we still have an oath to the constitution and no mandate no law no nothing we can do um, can conflict uh, the constitution so the ultimate goal is to educate empower Alaskans and engage them in their government and hold, hold the government accountable.
0: Well Senator Reinbold I'm really happy you came on the podcast it's been a great discussion I'm, it uh, took a couple years but I finally got you so we'll have to do another one we can do one on the budget we can do one on the caucus we can do one uh, whatever you want. How about so. travel? We could do a we could do a travel podcast too. That'd so. be fun.
1: I love traveling. You're probably
0: not going to. We have another one called Landmine Love. It's more of a kind of a dating relationships. You know. Uh, no,
1: thanks. Probably not going to be I, that I, one. I'm happily married. i um, almost 32 years. My, love, love my husband.
0: The, the the my partner on Landmine Love is Sabrina Combs, Palmer City Council. She's married with. We, we do like uh, people send us questions. It's great. You could.
1: <laughs> no, thank you.
0: <laughs> okay, Senator Rainbow. Well, thanks for coming on. And again, um. They can go on the change.org or on the Facebook page if they yeah, want to look at
1: that. Uh, constitutional Freedom Fighters, comma. Alaska chapter on Facebook you can also follow me on Senator Laura Reinbold uh, that would, that'd be awesome you're, and very,
0: you're very active on the social media
1: oh yeah I just checked it, it was 90,700 in the last four weeks and that was when we were basically out of session except for a couple days mm-hmm. one post I got 55,000 hits on so yeah people definitely I it's, it's definitely a forum to, to discuss issues that are facing Alaska
0: I want to thank you for coming in Senator Reinbold we'll do another podcast and enjoy the beautiful day here in Alaska
1: thanks for having me on Jeff
0: okay yep folks if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast Podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.